Welcome back, history fans. We have another podcast for you about, you guessed it, history. So if you remember last time, we left off with the ending of World War II. So we talked about how it all started, some of the battles and all that, and now we are getting into, well, what's going to happen afterwards? So um, in the end, it is estimated that World War II, 75 million people died. Now this is an estimate there is still probably um, many more million that were unaccounted for, um, and that's uh, an interesting history topic in of itself. Uh, please contact me if you want to know more about why I say that the, that number might be a little low. Um, but anyhow, now we've got to figure out what's going on after the war, and we're going to start with the Nuremberg Trials, and these were trials on war criminals, um, and basically any kind of crime that was committed during the war, like a, like not just killing another person, which is bad, don't get me wrong, that's a time of war, these kind of things do happen, but these are for, like, the top Nazis, like, we're talking about the uh, Holocaust, basically. So, the Nuremberg Trials, trials on war crimes committed during the war, 177 Germans and Austrians were tried, and of those, um, 142 were found guilty, and uh, we saw the top Nazi officials were given the death penalty. So, um, also, after World War II, Britain withdrew power over Israel, and Jews took control of the land and proclaimed it Israel. And the country developed very rapidly. America provided money to help them rebuild and rehabilitation and just everything. And so we saw like kind of a, a resurgence or, or an area of Israel that just kind of blossomed very quickly. Um, next, we're going to talk about the United Nations. And this is an international organization that is set up to ensure peace. Very similar to the League of Nations, but this one will hopefully work. So there's 50 member nations, um, all in the General Assembly, which is voting area, um, five main nations in the Security Council that have veto power. And they can basically say whatever, um, whatever the people vote on, they can just say, yep, I don't like that, and they can stop it, just if one of those people. So these are like the most five powerful countries in the world. And these are Britain, um, the Soviet Union, or modern-day Russia, France, China, and the United States. So... Um, at the end of the war, the Soviet Union, um, you know, they took over, you know, Germany and stuff like that. And in the meantime, when they were attacking Germany or pushing Germany out of countries, they took control of a lot of countries that were between them and Germany. And when one country fell to communism, the fear was that the other ones would fall to communism. And this was called the domino effect. And the big three, if you remember those conferences, they said that, hey, all these countries that were taken control of after World War II should be given freedom and free elections to decide what they want. Well, Stalin kind of broke this promise and installed communist governments in these countries. So the domino effect, one falling to communist after the other, became a reality. So um, now we're getting into the Cold War. So... Um, and this is what our unit's going to be titled, the Cold War. So after World War II, two major superpowers emerged, and that was the Soviet Union and the United States of America. And they began to be um, kind of at odds with one another. They had different ideologies, because um, remember the whole idea between communism versus capitalism, and they distrusted one another, and this ultimately led us to the Cold War. And definition time for you, a Cold War, a state of political tension and military rivalry between nations that stops short of full-scale war. Basically means you don't like each other, you might say bad things about each other, but you ultimately will never 
fight one another. You might spy on the other one. You might find other ways to show up the other one. You might brag about how awesome you are, but you will never actually fight. And Winston Churchill uh, coined an interesting phrase during this time. He described the Soviet control of Eastern Europe as an iron curtain dividing the continent. An iron curtain is just kind of expressed the growing fear of communism. And it was a division of eastern and western areas or blocks. And it became kind of the symbol of the Cold War, the Iron Curtain. And also, um, maybe kind of a formal area of the Iron Curtain uh, was Germany. Because after World War II, Germany was divided up um, among the allies or the kind of the winners of the war. So, um, and... For the most part, it was a British zone, a French zone, American zone, and then also the Russian zone. And then within the Russian zone was the German capital, which was Berlin, and that was um, split up the same way. A Russian side or Soviet side, a French side, a British side, and the American side. So the Soviet Union really did not like having this little tiny island of democracy known as Berlin inside of the Russian zone. So this um, this really didn't go well for the uh, the Russians or the Soviets. They did not like that at all. So they wanted to get rid of it. And this became kind of the center of Cold War tensions for many, many years. So the Soviets tried um, to get rid of Western Berlin, which was the democracy side, by starving them out. Um, they blocked all supplies in and out of that area. And... So this became known as the Berlin Blockade, and we were not deterred. We just said, you know what, if you're not going to block everything in and out, we'll find a way in. We'll fly in with the Berlin Airlift. So we flew in a ton of planes and dropped supplies for all the people that were living there. So um, we start to see people picking sides at this point. So um, we have the Soviet side and the American side. So... Um, the Western European countries and the United States formed NATO, which stands for North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and this was in 1949, and it was a military alliance. And they said basically all the countries that signed it pledged to help one another if any of them had ever been attacked or would be attacked, the other ones would come to their aid. I know what you're thinking. Isn't this kind of how World War I started? I know. I know. So you know, uh, the Soviet Union said, hey, you can't do that. Well, if you do, we're going to do it ourselves. So in 1955, um, they responded by creating their own military alliance of communist countries known as the Warsaw Pact, and they pledged to support one another if one of them got attacked as well. So we have two giant groups that say if you attack one of us, it's like attacking all of us. So... And each side started to build up forces in order to withstand an attack from the other, just like World War I. So the Soviet Union um, gained um, the ability to make the atomic bomb in 1949, so no longer is the United States the only one with this uh, giant piece of technology that can kill tons and tons of people. And um, after that, each side spent more and more to build bigger and better weapons. And at one point in the world's history, there was enough nuclear weapons to destroy all life on Earth around maybe three times over. So it's just an estimation, mind you. And because both sides were building such huge weapons and pointing them at one another, 
um, we have this thing called Mutual Assured Destruction. And Mutual Assured Destruction was designed to keep the peace. And definition time for you, it's a strategy in which the use of nuclear weapons by two sides would result in the destruction of both sides. So basically, if you attack me, I'll attack you. Neither of us wins, both of us loses. So I'm not going to attack you because if I do, you're going to attack me and we're both going to die. So there's just no point in actually doing it. So kind of a maybe a bad way to look at things, but that's the way uh, war was. So, um, or the Cold War, I should say. Um, next up, another definition for you is escalation, which is something getting more intense step by step. And um, this comes with the just buildup of all the military stuff, because at the beginning, you know, all, only two, you know, one country had nuclear weapons, then two countries had nuclear weapons, but then both those countries started making thousands and thousands of bombs, and it just kept getting more and more intense the longer it went on. And things changed with war, just as everything does. We saw new delivery systems. Um, no longer did you just have to fly a, a plane over and drop a bomb. Now we have missiles that can do it, and we have these things called ICBMs, which stands for Intercontinental Ballistic Missiles. Basically, missiles that can leave one continent and fly to another continent and destroy everything over there. This was very scary because it used to be, you know, you could see the plane coming. Now, you can put this missile, you know, you can hide it somewhere, like in a submarine. All of a sudden, the submarine pops up, fires that missile, and then boom, everyone's dead. So, yeah, pretty bad. All right, now I know I'm backtracking here just a little bit, but I want to talk to you about the spread of communism a little bit because that is part of the Cold War. China, 1949, after World War II, civil war broke out in China. Mao Zedong led, a group, uh, led the communist group versus Zhang Zexi, who led the nationalist group, or maybe kind of more pro-democracy. Um, Mao gained victory and set up the PRC, People's Republic of China, which is still around here today. Zhang Zixi and his supporters uh, fled to Taiwan and set up their own type of government there. Um, the peasants, for the most part, sided with Mao, so all the people in China, um, and he gave them all land, basically redistributing it, taking it from the like Kulak-type um, groups of people and giving it to the normal peasants, so they loved him. He gave women equality, so they loved him. He set up collective farms, um, which he called them communes, so it was very similar to the collectives we talked about, the Soviet Union. And even though you would think the Soviet Union and China would be good friends because both of them are communist, um, they were, had an uneasy alliance, and eventually border disputes started and caused their alliance to break up a little bit. And, um, you know, later on, the United States actually became pretty good trading partners under Nixon administration with them. But that's another day. So um, let's talk about some other spreads of communism versus, um, you know, American democracy style stuff. So let's talk about Africa. Many of the colonies that were held in Africa were given freedom after World War II. Um, because remember, you know, a lot of countries had control of these areas. And now that they're everyone's giving up colonies, so... Anyhow, most of them were controlled by Germany and Italy. Now they're given freedom, and now they have to decide what type they want to be. So do they want to be, you know, democracy, or do they want to be a Soviet style? So, um, anyhow, they're trying to figure out um, what's going to happen on. So many of the countries in Africa were controlled by dictators very quickly after World War II, and eventually, one by one, they started to become democracies, which, hey, that's a good thing. Um, and, however, the dictatorships were supported by the Soviets, and 
the other ones were supported by the United States. So even though we're not formally over there with troops, we're giving financial aid and so forth. Um, further focusing on Africa, let's talk about economics. Um, so they had to decide, um, as far as their economy was going, should they pick socialism or capitalism? And this was a huge decision when it comes to you know, the financial health of their countries. Um, some countries decided they would set up a mixed economy, kind of a balance between the two. A mixed economy is state and privately owned businesses. So some stuff is completely run by the state. Other stuff, they're like laissez-faire, hands-off, let the people own those kind of businesses. Um, and then on top of that, they had a lot of financial hardships because they didn't know what to do. Should they plant cash crops and make money, or should they make food crops and feed their people? And many countries found themselves in debt from oil imports, so that further cemented the thing, cash crops, food crops. There was social problems as well in Africa and still continue to this day, such as the AIDS epidemic, um, drought and famine, uh, desert of desertification, which means the spreading of desert, um, and all that stuff is still going on today. Um, also, let's talk a little bit about India. Um, and if you remember, prior to World War II, India was controlled by Britain. Uh, they were given their independence after World War II in 1947. And they are actually, to this day, the largest democracy in the world. So they sided with democracy uh, and capitalism over communism, socialism-style stuff. As far as social aspects of India is concerned, uh, they once they had a formal constitution uh, that was written down, they got rid of discrimination towards Harijans, which I'm probably mispronouncing, but it means children of God. Women got the right to vote and other equal rights. Um, moving on to economics, they suffered many of the same problems that uh, much of Africa that we talked about suffered. They had deforestation, getting rid of the forest, high amounts of debt. Remember the oil imports that we alerted to with Africa. They did have improved agriculture. They built some uh, irrigation dams and just other irrigation in general. So they were doing good in that respect. And, you know, you look at modern day, India is a pretty healthy economy. Um, and another area um, or region to talk about real quick, just to sum up this unit before we, uh, we move on to some more Cold War stuff with our next version of the Cold War in our next podcast, let's talk about Indochina. Um, and there was a lot of independence movements in there as well, specifically Vietnam. And the reason I'm bringing this up now is because we're going to be talking about the Vietnam War next year in U.S. history, and we'll be alluding to it in our next unit. But Vietnam had two sides. Um, after the French lost control of their colony, um, they had the Communist North, which were supported by the Soviet Union, kind of, and the Democratic South, which was kind of supported by the United States. And this would eventually lead to the Vietnam War, which we'll be discussing in length in U.S. history and be alluding to in our next unit, as I mentioned. So, anyhow, we're going to leave off there today for this one, and we're going to pick up with more stuff about the Cold War. So this version of the Cold War is kind of how it started and the quick version of it right after World War II. Our next unit is going to talk more extensively about the Cold War as far as um, bringing us all the way up to 1991 and maybe even a little beyond from there. So... All right, I will see you next time.